And the Lord, uh, he covers some pretty big topics. Uh, and we just looked at the first two. Matthew 6 has got some heavy stuff in it. Uh, we looked at uh, giving and prayer, which, like most things on the surface, you can go, okay, those are good things. Giving and prayer are good. Uh, but the Lord really gets into not just what we do, not just the, the physical act that we accomplish or the good work that we do, but what's the motive behind it? That it is possible to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. And, and certainly those in Jesus' day, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, were known as being very generous and very spiritual. But a lot of the things that Jesus is calling out is directly pointing to them. Uh, that though they would give, they'd make sure that they were giving on a day that the trumpets would be sounded, right? And that didn't always happen, but uh, on certain feasts, when you gave, they would draw attention to it by, by sounding a trumpet in the temple and sometimes even in some of the synagogues. And so what people would do is instead of giving just on a normal basis, they'd, they'd hold it back and they'd wait until that day to give so that everybody would see them giving, right? In the same way with prayer, that while they could pray anytime they wanted, and there were three specific times of prayer, morning, noon, and evening, some people would make sure that they were right on the busiest street corner when it was time to pray, so that they'd have to stop and freeze and begin praying out loud so that all could see them, right? And Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites, that the things that they're doing, giving, and prayer, and, and it'll go on as we go through chapter 6, that it is for the eyes of people. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be thought of as being spiritual and godly, and they're really doing the bare minimum in order to get that quick return. And, and the Lord is saying that they have their reward in full. That if what they're striving for is, is the praise of men, that when they get it, they're paid. They're done. But he, he encourages us, saying, but don't be like them. Instead, go to the secret place. And this is, that's a term that's used several times, and, and it really speaks of this quiet place that's just you and the Lord. And that can be a place in your house. It can be out in the woods. It can be in your car, Right? But it needs to be some place that you can get to easily, and it can be, and it's some place that's consistent, and it's where you and the Lord are just together. That what He sees in the secret place, He will reward openly, right? And it's really a decision for us to make. It's like, well, who do I want? Do I want man's praise and that reward, or do I want what God has in store for me? Well, it's a simple answer, but yet we struggle with that, right? And, and I love the fact that Jesus doesn't condemn that. He doesn't say, you know, you're the worst, you're the, you know, the, the t most terrible person ever if you're doing these things. He's just saying you've been paid in full. But there's something better. There's something more in store. There's something greater for you that the Lord wants to meet us in that secret place and that place of prayer. And, uh, and so he gives us the model for prayer. And again, this isn't the magic prayer. Or the prayer that we should throw out all the time. I, I shared last week that growing up in the Catholic Church, man, we recited the Lord's Prayer every single week. And in Sunday school, we recited it all the time. And honestly, I never knew what it meant. It was like words to a song. I could just recite it, absolutely, no problem. And to me, I thought, well, this must be the important one. That's the one that, like, when you really want something, you pull out this prayer. You don't have to know what it means. 
That's not the point of it. In fact, Jesus says, don't, don't use vain repetition or multiple, um, multiplication of words. Lots of words don't matter. The idea is that these things are important to keep in mind in prayer. That first of all, he is our heavenly father. And I talked about last week about how that was a new concept to the Jewish people. That they saw him as high and exalted and holy and separate for sure. But the idea of being personal like a father. And it's a healthy father-child relationship, one that not all of us can can connect with very easily if we didn't have that healthy relationship in our own life. But he describes a loving, protective father that is out for our good. And when we know that, then we want his kingdom to come. We want his will to be done. We want it to be done in our lives, right? And so all of these things of the Lord's prayer are pointing us to this deeper, more honest relationship with God himself, that rather than seeing him distant and far away, he is close, he is our father, right? Now, going on to the second half of chapter 6 today, um, again, some pretty, some pretty heavy topics, and they're gonna, the Lord's pointing again toward our motive in why we do things, and really, rather than being seen by men, it's going to change to more of like what our focus is. What are we looking at? What are we paying attention to? What's drawing our, our focus and therefore what is motivating us? Is it the things of this life and this earth or is it the things of his kingdom? So let's pray one more time and we'll get into the rest of chapter 6. God, we, uh, we thank you for the power that's in your word. And Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way in us today. I, I just think that There are so many challenging things for us in your word today, Lord, and I pray that you give us ears to hear it and a heart to understand it, that we can apply these things. Uh, We just give ourselves to you, that you might do that work. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we'll be starting in verse 16. of Chapter 6, it says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. With a sad countenance, for they disfigure their face, disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now this is kind of the close of that section. It would have been good for me to uh, teach on this last week because it, again, is talking about being seen by men, being seen by people, wanting to be believed to be super spiritual, super godly, right? And so giving, the idea is to look generous, to look godly, to do the bare minimum. And and it's funny how people can do this because you don't have to say how much you gave. You're just like, well, we did give to this charity. We did give to this person. Whew. And you do that, and they're like, well, it must have been a lot. Could have been 50 cents, right? But it gives the appearance. And so giving can give that look like, man, you're just so generous, right? And prayer, again, praying out loud to be impressive to whatever that motive might be to be heard by men. Uh, it's to look godly. Well, then fasting is to look super godly, right? (laughs) 
I'm so spiritual. I'm so deep. I don't even, even eat food. I'm, I'm so in tune with the Lord, right? Now, fasting has a very important purpose, and we'll get into that. We've talked about that earlier as we've looked at in the Gospel of Matthew here. But understand that like praying on the city street, it was the idea of being recognized. Don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance and disfigured faces. Why did they have the, the sad faces and the disfigured? Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. So everyone will go, what's wrong? Well, I'm fasting for the Lord. Oh, man, you must be so spiritual and godly. Well, yes. Right? But you got to set the stage. you got to let people know how hard it is and how, what a d- huge sacrifice you're making for the Lord because of your great devotion. And in the same way, you don't have to tell them how long you've been fasting. Maybe you just skip breakfast. Or maybe you're eating lunch late, right? And you're just like, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. I remember uh, we used to do, and maybe they still do it, the 30-hour famine was a fundraiser for youth groups and for different mission uh, organizations. And so we do it with our youth group, and it was hilarious because these kids would be like that for 30 hours. Just like, as soon as you're like, that's it, we're done eating. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And, and sure, teenagers are just like great white sharks. They just eat constantly. So maybe a bigger sacrifice for them. But I remember talking with uh, the other youth leader, Jeremy, who's just a great guy. I love Jeremy. And uh, I'm like, does it seem like it's that big a deal, 30 hours? And he goes, dude, I've forgotten to eat for 30 hours. Like two days go by, and I'm like, oh, I haven't eaten, you know? <laughs> and, and that's kind of, I think, if we're honest, how things usually are. But the idea is making it look so deep, so spiritual. Again, so people ask, why are you so sad? Why, why do you seem to be in pain? Well, because I'm just that spiritual. Um, and really, it can be with any sacrifice. It doesn't matter if it's fasting. Fasting is a great example. But I think it can be giving of our time. It can be giving of our resources. It can even be praying for other people. Whatever it is, it's easier for us to get this martyr's attitude. Like what we're doing is such a huge, enormous deal. Somebody needs to recognize it, right? Because it's that important, and I need to get some credit for it. Maybe not disfiguring our faces, but the long, deep sighs when somebody's right. (sighs) Hey, what's wrong? Well... I've just been giving, 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 and people are just taking, 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 and just because I love the Lord so much. And some people paint the whole Christian walk to look just like that. That living for the Lord is so hard. It's such a trial. It's such a sacrifice. It's, it's so difficult to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You know what's more difficult? Being lost. <laughs> I mean, any time we're like, hey, living for the Lord is hard. But you know what's worse is, is when I didn't live for the Lord. That was far worse. I love that Jesus doesn't come down on fasting. Again, he's pointing to the motive. Fasting has a great purpose. Fasting, I, I think, in, in many ways, is one of the best things we can do that is a physical example of a spiritual truth where we are denying our flesh, which we're supposed to do all the time, but it's a very practical way to say flesh, 
I'm in charge, you're not. I'm going to tell you what to do for a day or for two days. And every time you complain, we're going to seek the Lord together. And I'm dragging you through this, and you're going to obey. Right? That's what fasting is. And it isn't some secret to making the Lord do what we want. It isn't what we do when we're like, so, oh, I really need this. I really need the Lord to, to come through here. It's getting us in line with Him. Denying our flesh, building up the, our spirit by getting in tune with the Holy Spirit, and, and getting just going in the direction that He wants to go. All right? Jesus, when he dealt with the devil, when we looked at his temptation by Satan, he quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I think that this is what another thing that fasting does for us, is it teaches us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's something so good for us to realize, oh, I don't need this as much as I thought I did. You know, to... Fasting is a great thing. You know, again, we're like, man, I need three meals a day. I need a big breakfast. And those things are fine. But, you know, it's okay to go, you know what? I haven't eaten all day, and I'm okay. It's not as important as I make it out to be. It's good for us to have those areas that we just are, are again, causing the flesh to obey. Again, Jesus doesn't say don't fast. But when you do, just don't look like you are. <laughs> and, and it's simple. You know, he, t- he says, you know, anoint your, your head and, and wash your face. Just, just look good. Just, just, you know, don't walk around all sad and, and mopey. And uh, don't let people know what you're doing. It's between you and the Lord. And, and let him be the one to reward you. Again, uh, this happens in the secret place. And I like that the Lord keeps using that term. The, the Hebrew word is actually just secret, but it's speaking of a secret place, a secret meeting place, right? It's a, it, the phrase that, that's used there, it's very intimate. And, and this is where that relationship with the Lord really grows and deepens. And so Jesus isn't just saying, well, do, do this, don't do that. He's saying, you want to go deeper with God? You want to understand Him more? You want that relationship to grow? This is where it happens. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, and he's the only one that knows. All right. Verse 19. Verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break into steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the, is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Therefore, the light that is within you, if the light that is in, within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, Jesus 
a sh- makes a shift here going from being seen before the eyes of men to really what are we looking at? What, what is motivating us? If it's not the praise or the glory of this life, is it the things of this life? And so he starts pointing to, in these, these three small sections here, are all pointing to the same thing of looking to earthly treasure as some sort of comfort. Uh, and I think most of us, if we think about earthly treasure, even when we talk about storing up treasure, uh, we go, well, that's not a problem. I, I have no storehouses filled with treasure. I have no piles of gold anywhere. I have piles of debt. I don't think that counts. But, but understand, again, he's not talking about the things. He's talking about the motive for the things. Very different. And we don't need the things to be motivated by them. So where are we storing up? our treasure. I think it's also important to know that this isn't just a change of subject. In fact, in some ways, it's pointing back to what he's just said, that when we're doing things for the eyes of men, we're doing it for glory here in this life, that is storing up earthly treasure. It, it's a different type. It's not an, you know money that can be spent, but it is something that is earthly, something that is worldly. And, and we're trying to somehow store that up and we can do that in a lot of different ways. We start looking for the short-term reward rather than the eternal. But as it comes to earthly treasure in a more tangible way, it's that we tend to think of it that it will solve our problems. Man, if only I could get ahead financially. If I could just get that raise at work, if I could just make a little bit more, then I could get ahead. I mean, we all think that. Part of that is good stewardship, understanding that we need to be good stewards of what we've been given. But again, it comes down to motive. Jesus isn't saying that having money is a problem. He's not saying that earthly possessions are a problem. He is saying that putting our trust in them is. So instead of looking to the Lord going, Lord, I know that you can handle this. I know that you can take care of this. We start going, what I need is more money to take care of this. If I could just get a little bit more money, then these things would be taken care of. If I could store up enough, then I'd be at peace. Jesus is making it clear. No matter what that is, whatever that earthly thing is, it will fail and it will fall where moth and rust destroy. And I tell you what, it's one of those things, I don't always translate my deep thoughts very well, but this is one that I've come back to many times, is think about the, the kingdoms of the ancient world. Think about Babylon and Greece and Rome. In their day, they were unstoppable. There was a king that sat on each of those thrones that believed that kingdom would never end, and they're gone like they never existed. Some ruins, some pillars, and a bunch of sand. And any of the kingdoms that exist today, should the Lord tarry, will all go that direction. The gold that they held to, the treasure stores that they had, gone. At best, parts of it are in some museum somewhere. So nothing, and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about gold, or we're talking about political power, or any of those things, 
they will all disappear and fail. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 16, and of course we'll look to it again when we get there. But he says, For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What earthly kingdom? Even all of the world and all of its glory, if it could be handed to you, would mean nothing on your deathbed. It will all end. It will all fail. It will all come to a time where it is worthless. Now the good news, and there is good news here, this isn't just discouraging, but uh, the great thing about what Jesus is saying here is that basically, no, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. That it, Again, he's not coming down on worldly possessions. He's not coming down on having money or having wealth even. But he is saying it needs to be used for the kingdom and not just stored up. You can't put our trust in it because it will fail. But we can use it to advance the kingdom, and we're sending earthly treasure ahead to have eternal value. But the only thing that will matter in heaven, and this is a question that comes up from time to time, is what, what treasure is there in heaven? Is it mansions? Is it crowns? No. I mean, we're told that he goes to prepare a place for us, and we're told that we will be given crowns, just that we'll cast them at his feet to say that, how, that he's the only one that's worthy. The only thing that will matter in heaven are souls. So any life that we can touch with the kingdom, whether that's just sharing the gospel, sharing the love of Jesus Christ, a cup of cold water in his name, that counts. And in heaven, it will count for eternity. So when we get to give financially to, to a, a work or a ministry, man, I'm excited to see what happens when we get to heaven. And it's funny because our little church here, we, you guys don't know this, but we just had the opportunity to bless a couple other churches that are starting and a couple other ministries. They were like, hey, let's just do this. And the church board was like, absolutely, let's do this. And we all jumped on and we kind of talked and prayed through some other ministries and we got to just help out financially with uh, two different churches that are starting and a couple of other ministries that we're excited about. And, and to me, it's like, you know what? We're probably never going to meet those people. Those aren't people we're going to go to, hey, you remember that gift we sent? Right? <laughs> you are paid in full at that moment. But, but when we get to heaven, wouldn't it be cool, or won't it be cool, that, that we will run into people and they'll go, you know what? I got saved in that church that your church supported. And, and because you supported your church, they were able to support that other church. You know, it just branches out, and all of a sudden the kingdom of God gets huge that we get to be a part of, right? It's, it's such a beautiful thing. And Jesus, again, is, is making it clear, look, this is, this is the reward, that we can be a part of this and, and use generosity and use the, the physical things of this life in order to send that blessing ahead by touching the lives of others. Again, anything else fails. In Jesus' day, the honor that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were working so hard to attain, gone. There is no order of Pharisees and Sadducees anymore. People who are rising and striving for political power, earthly power, even if they were to attain a kingdom of their own, moth and rust will destroy it one day, and it will be forgotten. Now, 
Jesus tells us to lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust can destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. And this is a huge shift, again, in our mindset. Because our fallen nature wants to hoard things, right? Well, we've got enough for today, but let's just get enough for next month, too. And we just, we just pile it up if we can, right? And instead going, okay, I have enough for today, but can I give some of that away to somebody else? Can I bless somebody else's life? And it doesn't necessarily have to be stuff. In fact, I think a lot of the times it's, it's more about our time. It's, it's about praying for people. It's about calling somebody up going, hey, I was just praying for you, thinking about you. How are you? And, and building those relationships, building that friendship, again, that may very well end up having results that are e- eternal. Um, Jesus is, is challenging really here with these questions. And that's really what these things are. The kind of questions being posed of, of what are we focused on? What are we looking to? Uh, in verse 22, and this is a confusing one. In verse 22, it says, The lamp of the body is, is the eye. And therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Uh, it sounds like a change of subject, but again, it's not. He's still focused on uh, what we're looking to, to put our trust in. And this is the, the scripture that people will say, or they misquote it or misuse it, saying that the eye is the window to the soul. That's not anywhere in the Bible, by the way, but this is the verse that people get that from. And it gives you the idea of if you look someone in the eye, man, you're going to know what's happening on the inside. That's not what this means at all. <laughs> it's not even close. There are other verses uh, in Psalms and Proverbs that say similar things that kind of, you know, the point to that. That's not what this is talking about at all, though. Um, and it's hard because it's, a, it's the Hebrew mindset, and it's a, the translation a little bit is lost in our Western mindset. Uh, the closest thing that we could probably change it to or put it into our words would be, what you focus on is where you'll go. What you're looking to, what your eye is, is, is focused on, that is where you'll go. I used to use this uh, all the time, again, with youth group kids. We'd take them snowboarding. And there's the funniest thing about snowboarding, that whatever you look at is where you're going to go, which is usually where you don't want to go. So you see the tree, and you're like, I don't want to hit that tree. And when you're staring at that tree, no matter what you do, you're going to hit that tree, right? Because what you focus on is the direction you'll take. And so, again, this is a question that Jesus is really asking is, what are you focused on? Are you looking to the things of earth? Are you looking to the things of earthly treasure, earthly power, earthly even relationships to be your source of comfort, to be your source of strength? Are you putting your trust in those things? If so, then you're focused on the kingdom of darkness. And if that is what's inside of you, how great is that darkness? It's a chilling way that Jesus puts that. If you're looking to the world that has no light in it for your answers, how great is the darkness that is within you? However, if we're looking to the kingdom of light, if we're looking to God's kingdom, then, then within us is his light. If we're motivated by the things of eternity, we're motivated by the things of heaven. And again, this is a choice. Nobody does this naturally. This is against our flesh. It's against our sin nature. It's something we have to choose to do. This is another one of those we're dragging our flesh along with us, kicking and screaming, because it's going, no, 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 let's not do that. 
And we're going to go, yeah. Instead, we're going to choose to look and focus on the things of heaven and God's eternal kingdom. Verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a term that just simply means worldly wealth. Uh, could directly, you could say money, but it's more than money. It's, it's anything of power. It's anything that has an exchange rate. It's, so if you have great power, you can get people to do what you want, right? Even if you do, it's not an exchange of money necessarily. But it's worldly wealth. And the term that he uses for master is important too. Because Jesus isn't saying it's hard to serve two masters. It's difficult to have two jobs, two bosses. That's not what he's saying. The term for master is the one that rules over your life in every way. Not like two employers. It is your master. This is what you serve, and you only get one. If you try and serve two, there's going to be a problem because these masters are not going to agree. Especially when it comes to God and worldly wealth. You cannot put your trust in both of those. It is either one or the other. Again, if, if the idea that's encouraging, that, that should really get us excited, is that if we're putting God as our master, that means that he's the final authority. That what I do is to please him, it's to grow in my relationship with him, it's to understand him more, and that's what I want, is more of him. But, if my trust is in worldly wealth, then it is about getting more worldly wealth. And I can justify just about anything if that is my master. Because it's about getting more. I need more because then I'll be safe. I need more because then I'll, I'll, I'll be at peace. I won't have to be afraid of anything because I've got more. But it doesn't work like that. In fact, very much the opposite. Again, this is a warning about motive. Uh, I've heard people use this section of Scripture to really come down on people about, you, you know, you need to give, give, give more, more, more because you shouldn't have as much as you do. And that's not what Jesus is saying at all. That the motive that we have needs to be for the kingdom of God. And not putting our trust in the things of this, this life. We cannot serve money. It will all come to an end. And it's important to know, again, I know I mentioned this earlier, you don't need money to love money. You don't need treasure and worldly wealth or worldly power to love those things and be motivated by them. In fact, I think it's very much when we have a lack, we think that somehow that's going to be our answer. Where those who have it go, yeah, it's nice, but, but it doesn't solve my fears. It doesn't solve the things that, that haunt me at night. The lack, the desire for more. Again, we don't need to have those things for it to be our motive. Now, verse 25. Jesus ties this all together, saying, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they, excuse me, are you not more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the, li- the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows the need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Again, Jesus is not saying, uh, just be lazy. (laughs) Stay home, sit on the couch, eat ice cream all day, and the Lord will provide for you. (laughs) I wish he was. I wish (laughs) that was the message. That's not what he's saying. Again, this is speaking, he is speaking to us about what drives us, what our motive is. And where he's doing this by asking these hard questions. Where are we storing up treasure? What are we focused on and looking to and trusting in? And who is our master that we're serving? Now, he puts these together. And again, I think if we, if we just look at those, we go, well, yeah, it makes sense. We know that money is a bad motive. And it's interesting because you can listen to motivational speakers or financial advisors who don't know the Lord, have nothing to do with God or the Bible or anything. And they will say, serving money is a bad idea. You've got to have a higher purpose. You've got to have a higher calling. Even though they don't understand that principle in its biblical sense, they still will say that. And so most people would agree, right? These are, these are good things, that it's healthy for us to, to not serve money and, and to have a higher calling. But why do we struggle so much with these things then? Because we as believers should certainly know that. But it's still a struggle. How is it that money masters us so quickly and so easily? How is it that we focus on earthly things so easily? It just comes so naturally to us. Well, again, that's part of it's the flesh that's wanting those things. But Jesus ties it together with this is what's really driving all of those needs is worry. It is fear of what if. What if this happens? What if that happens? Well, I have money. Maybe it won't happen. Maybe if it does happen, I can cover it. I can take care of it. I find it interesting that in our country, and it's like this in most developed countries, but certainly I think it's it's far greater in our country, that there is a massive industry that is all about what-ifs. House insurance and car insurance and health insurance and all these other things that... and, and to some degree, that's responsibility. Certainly, a business owner needs insurance so nobody gets hurt or they can cover it if somebody does. But again, it's, so much of it is fear-based. Now they're selling insurance for your insurance. Here's the insurance that you have, and we're going to cover most of what they don't. Most? Shouldn't you cover all? 
I saw this commercial, and it was like something that was like a parody. It was so ridiculous. It was water insurance. And the water insurance was completely focused at elderly people that might have a water pipe break someday. And that if they have water insurance, the water insurance will find a plumber and hire them, and it'll be covered. And I'm like, plumbing's not that expensive. They're trying to get people to pay hundreds of dollars a month to cover insurance for something that could happen someday, right? There's a lot of things out there, not just insurance, but other things that are all based in fear. And they bring in the money because we're fearful people. And Jesus puts his finger right on it. It is because of worry, because of our anxiety, because of our stress, all revolving around what if. How many times in our lives have we believed a problem was heading towards us? And so we stressed about it, we worried about it, maybe we made some financial decisions because of it, and then it was nothing. Y2K is a great example. <laughs> when I, we were living in southern Oregon at the time, and there was this guy that we built a house for, and it was a multi-million dollar stronghold. It had secret rooms and craziness, completely off the grid, giant diesel generators, millions of dollars went into this house. And this guy was like, when Y2K hits, you're going to be knocking at my door. And I'm like, nah, I don't think so. And everything he did, while he didn't seem like a fearful person, was all based in fear. And you know what happened? The day after Y2K hit, nothing. Nothing. And I found the same thing in my life. The things that I get so worked up about, and I'm losing sleep about, and I'm stressed, and I'm trying to come up with every scenario, and well, if they say this, I'm going to say that, and if this happens, then I'm going to... And then it never happens. How many nights sleep have any of us lost over things like that? And again, all of our worry, what has it gained us? Nothing. Jesus says you can't make yourself taller or shorter. Earlier he used the example, you can't make your hair black or white. You can't do anything by fearing, worrying about it. But we can't trust in him. We can look to him. And, and again, I just love the way the Lord puts this. Look, it's understandable. Again, it's our flesh that strives after all of these earth, earthly treasures, hoping that our peace will be found in them. And he says, that's what the non-believers are doing. That's what the lost are doing. That's what the Gentiles are doing. That's not for you. You have a heavenly Father that loves you. Look at the way he takes care of the birds of the air the lilies of the field. And look at the complexity of the universe. I remember one night I was freaking out about some things in my life, and I was so stressed, and I couldn't sleep, and I'm pacing around, and I'm praying, and I'm like, Lord, I, you know, I believe you're in charge, but I, I, I just have so much doubt. And, and as I'm doing all this, I'm just babbling. I looked out the window, and it was one of these nights it was so clear, like the stars hurt your eyes. And I'm just in awe. I'm looking out there, and I forgot everything that was stressing me out. And I just felt like the Lord went, you know, I'm handling all of this okay. Oh, yeah, right? We don't have solar systems crashing into each other, and he's not like, oh, no, I forgot about that. And, you know, he's got all of that figured out. 
But my little minuscule problem, I'm like, I don't know if he's paying attention. (laughs) Jesus says the way he takes care of the birds, the way he clothes the grass of the field, you're so much more important to him than these things. He does that for fun. He didn't come to save the birds of the air. He didn't come to save the lilies of the field. He came to save you. He came to save me. He didn't have to pay their price. He came to pay our price. And if he would do all of that and go through all of that, why would we think he's going to come up short in in meeting our needs? Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. And for us to make that choice, again, not to run the way of the lost and the unbeliever or the way of the doubter, but instead that we would choose to rest in His love, choose to trust in His goodness and His provision. We'll just let tomorrow worry about itself. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for Your provision, for Your love for us, that You continually come after us and, and, and comfort us in our fear, comfort us in our doubt, meet us right where we are. And I pray that today, and I believe that there are people here that just desperately need your touch, your comfort, your provision. I pray you would meet each and every one of us here today. God, that your Holy Spirit would bring us answers, show us direction, and take us in the way that you have set out for us. Help us to be people of faith that trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.